Welcome back to Wed Locked and Loaded. Wed, 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 locked and loaded. You women. Do not lump us all in one category. You know so you girls, so you girls. And lie and stress the truth. You and try girls. to get us jammed up. First of all, I'm a whole ass woman, right? Think about no that. No disrespect. Sounds like it to me. So why can't y'all, why, what is it with men that they just can't walk away? Walk away. Depends how good it is. You don't want to give that away. We actually alluded to this conversation um, maybe two weeks ago now. Um, But, you know, sometimes we, I'll speak for myself, sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about. Yes. And so we wanted to bring an expert in the space and really address um, some of the things that we discussed. So she should be joining any minute. And look who we have. Look at... Look, look at that uh, management, as they as they call her. Um, how are you, my sweet love? I'm very well. How are you? Huh? I'm very well. How are you? Oh, boy. Oh, Java with Jimmy. He's only here for the... <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. Um, all right. So we are going to bring... Um, my dear old friend Stephanie Johnson in the room. Hello, Steph. <laughs> so I like. What's weird is I can't. Um. Oh, I know why. Oh, I figured it out. For some reason, I put my um my uh, Bluetooth on, but now we're good. Okay, so everyone can hear. Mic check one two one two. Yep yep yep. Yep yep. <laughs> All right. So, um, wedlocked and loaded, um, Wednesday, November, November 16th, November's flying by. Mm-hmm. Um, is this your first live, Stephanie? This is my first live. Yes. You said oh! all the technical difficulties. I was on a whole Google meet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so are, are you basically saying that wedlocked and loaded officially like popped your cherry or? Yes, it did. It did. Nice. <laughs> Okay. So, um, so people know who we are. Um, but I want, before we get into the discussion, I want you to, um, introduce yourself. Cause we met obviously, um, at another place <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember when you left, I was really sad and I didn't quite understand. I'm like, well, why is she doing this? And, mm-hmm. and you had a passion and you followed it. And I'm so proud that you stuck with it. And you built it to what it is. So I want you to um, introduce yourself and what you do. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get into a discussion. Yeah, so my name is Stephanie Johnson. And I am the owner and founder of Roots Midwifery, a home birth midwifery practice here in the Boston area. Um, this is, I just celebrated my third year of owning my own practice. But I've done this for almost five years now, about four and a half, five years, um, just, you know, attending births as a midwife. Um, So it's been a long journey, (laughs) a long, hard journey, but here I am. And you've been like, you know, no, has anybody been mentoring you and giving you guidance? So it's all trial and error and you just figuring it out? Pretty much. When I initially started, the women that I precepted with gave me, you know, some of the foundation to get this uh, business piece kind of started. And of course, you know, just Googling and, and connecting with different business owners, I was able to find some pieces of how to start a business, basically. But the kind of meat of all of this, all on my own, all on my own. Um, I've had I do, and not say had. Um, I have many, many uh, mentors, midwife mentors um, that I've come across over the years, and elder midwives who have really kind of uh, loved on me and held me in my uh, most difficult times and busiest times and times where I needed, you know, um, support and you know, friends and family, etc. So, um, you know, I, I have a great community, and I really kind of all my community for me being here because when I was going through the schooling and, and uh, the apprenticeship and all of that, people were cheering me on the sidelines. So, um, you know, that's is from, from you guys too. So. And so 
Let me ask. Leah was just. She's going to chime in in a second. I think um, her Wi-Fi was like circling. Yeah. Um. So you know, it takes a certain type of person, obviously, mm-hmm. to go into something where, as guys, we you know, yes, childbirth is beautiful, yeah. right? There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> um, however, it gets a little. Um, it gets a little sticky and crunchy and that's not for everybody. Right. And not everyone thinks it's so warm and fuzzy and guys actually pass out. Yeah. Right. Um, but for you to lean into like, it's, it, I feel like it's a, it's a certain kind of love and appreciation um, that you have to have, I think to even want to get into that space mm-hmm. um, and all the emotions and the things going on and you're dealing with someone who, whether this is their first or their fifth, right? It's all that mm-hmm. you know. You are not only providing a service, but you're also counseling, and you're also, you know, being a shoulder to lean on. Mm-hmm. And you know, who knows if it's a, a a a dual family household, and you got that dynamic and all that type of stuff. Like, what what made you want to embark in that space versus? Uh, you know, being a stockbroker. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll tell you a little bit of sort of how I got here. I think that would help. So as a kid, um, I was always the one who was playing house. I always was the one who worked with, with my, you know, friend, my childhood friends. Um, you know, they would be the ones having the babies. I was the one attending to them and caring for their babies. Etc. I don't know where it came from or why it was a thing, but it was. Um, and so initially, I wanted to be a pediatrician because I loved working with babies. But then I really connected with sort of the the connectedness of the dyad, so the mom, the baby, and you know the partner. And so when I became a mother myself, um, I really into okay what are we going to do with life because I I really didn't want to do you know 12 years of medical school and then residency and then you know whatever else specialty you had to do for to become a doctor and so I found up or came across finding um, midwifery um, but nurse midwifery and so I entered into college and kind of started that journey and at some point someone was like yeah well there's like a two-year wait to get in the nursing program and I'm like um so when I have something on my mind I need to make it happen and so I basically kind of deviated and I was like I'm not gonna wait I need to get this done now um and so I moved from um the prerequisites of that to doing like a bunch of other classes throughout you know my 20s and then when I started um approaching 30 I was like you know what let me revisit this because it really never left me. The The yearning to do this work never left me. And so I ended up um, reapplying, I'm sorry, not reapplying, applying to nursing school. And I actually got in. And so I did that program for a year and a half, two years, because I had all the prerequisites by the time I got there. So I literally just went in and started doing clinicals. And I just felt like it just wasn't the type of care that I wanted to provide. It was very kind of sterile. It was very regimented. Um, and I, I honestly didn't want to be doing med surge for 12, two years, three years, whatever it was. Cause at the time you had to do that before you can go into a specialty. And so I switched majors, I got a different degree and then I still wanted to do this work. And so I became a doula. So I did that for about five years. I became a lactation consultant. I became a childbirth educator. And then I was like, okay, what's the next step? You know, and the next step was really kind of growing from that space. And I wanted to work with other women in my community and how could I best serve them? So I ended up going back to school. And um, during that time, that's when I started connecting with a bunch of my mentors that I still have today. And one of them was like, well, why not think about midwifery again? And I'm like, listen, I've been in school for like 15 years and we're not even including like, you know, the primary from one to five and then, you know, nine to 12. 
I'm just over it. And she was like, but this is really what newer free is about. It's women who have experience, um, who had their, have already had children, who had community connections, et cetera. And I think you would be a really good fit. And so I was like, okay, I'll look into it. And I did. And literally every door opened for me um, from that point, from um, looking into the different schools. I found the school that, you know, fit best for me. Um, I got a full scholarship. I, you know, got into apprenticeship really easily. Um, I was able to come back home, so I didn't have to really worry about finances. Um, so a lot of things kind of played a role. Um, and at that time, that's where, like, the piece about home home birth midwifery came about so it wasn't really what I knew you know 20 years prior um, it really is something relatively um, new to me within the past like 10 years or so and so to connect it all when I did my first semester in midwifery school we had um, a class on history um, about uh, grand midwives and the history of grand midwives and there was in the very first chapter a story about a midwife in North Carolina in this like small little town in North Carolina, which was where my father was from. So mm -hmm. it, it's like literally a blip, you, you drive through it really quickly when you go through North Carolina. And so I just happened to ask my dad, I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe this midwife was your midwife, Did, you know, if she was the person who, de um, who uh, delivered you. And he was like, no, but your grandmother was. And I'm like, pause, what? <laughs> because I, well, fought, First of all, my father's mother passed away before I was born. So I never met her. And mm. to hear after all these years that she actually was doing the work that I was about to get into, and I had no recollection of that's what she ever was doing, was is like the light bulb just went off in that moment. And so it really kind of... Mm connected the dots for me and, and helped me understand like this was not only embedded in me, but also my calling. And so here we are. And when you left, um, when you left the place, <laughs> were you go was you going to um, nursing school? That's what you left for? Oh, so I think I was doing nursing school while I was there. I was in, yeah, I think I was doing, um, uh, starting the program when I was there. And then I started after that. Yeah, because I, I think right when I left, I was just finishing up because I think I graduated. I don't think I was there when I graduated. Yeah. So, and Leah, you can, um, you can chime in whenever. I just, you know, it's, it's just very interesting to me because I remember it's just, it's just funny. And it just seems like, you know, being gone so long, and I know it must feel the same way for you, being gone so long and you go back and it was such a big place. Mm -hmm. But when you go back, I'm, you're like, this is like so small. Like yeah. I was here for, so long. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a lot that you took from there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, systems and customer service and all that type of stuff. And you can apply that and change it and remix it. Yeah. Um, but so just on an ignorant um, level, I'm speaking from pure ignorance. So w when you're talking, I'm like, is she saying, obviously you're saying this on purpose because you're the expert. I say midwifery. That's wrong. No, some people say midwifery, midwifery, midwifery. Same thing. I know what you mean. Okay. Leah, how would you say it? Do you say mid? What do you say? I don't, I've never had to use that term in my life. So, <laughs> so it, I, I know, I know, I guess what, you know, I guess the present mm -hmm. tense mm -hmm. would be midwife. Like I've said that, but I've never yeah. said it. Like Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I wanted to ask, because there's one thing, and I, I did some um, reading earlier, and the CDC it says that, um, and I don't know if this is, like, current, mm -hmm. but, like, 43 per 100,000 live births, mm -hmm. um, the black maternal mortality rate, mm -hmm. um, the number for, for black women is 43 per 100,000. Does that sound? For what? So I guess like the the babies who are born and the mother um, has an ever died, yeah, or at risk. 
Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it used to be one in three. I think it's like one in three, between one in three and one in four. So every um, one in three mothers, Black mothers, are um, affected by uh, complications during pregnancy, birth, or postpartum. Yes. And, you know, so from someone who, and Leah spoke on this, and this is what prompted, you know, like you have to have you on, right? So Leah spoke on um, her story, and maybe just for context, mm-hmm. Leah, can you share, I guess, like the, the Cliff Notes version of, do you remember the story you shared? Oh, yes. Um, when I was pregnant with my first child, um, you know, we took, I took, I took the spinal bifida down syndrome. I took that test. Um, and it came back that, um, my, I was, my, my child was going to have down Mm. syndrome. Um, from there, um, you know, they was like, oh, we can do an amniocentesis and this, that, the next. Now, the thing was, is that by the time you got the results from that spinal bifida test, you were well into your second trimester, right? right? And so, like, really, right. what are you going to do? Right. You know? Um. Anyway, we, you know, I refused the, uh, the amniocentesis because it was very, it was oh. very risky. And so it was just like, you know, you could be wrong. Now, now I'm at a higher risk of losing my child because of yeah. whatever. Fast forward, baby, you know, did genetic testing, which stressed me out a whole lot because it wasn't as simple as a, oh, come one visit. It was multiple visits for multiple hours, multiple days, you know? Fast forward to that, um, baby's born, nice mm. and healthy, right? Pregnant with child two. I, I don't even go back to that <laughs> hospital. I'm like, yeah, I'm all set. You know? <laughs> I'm all set. We're not doing this. You're not going to stress me out. Um, went to another location, and um, it was time for that test again. And but I had a black nurse this time, and she was like, I had a white doctor, but a black nurse. Um, and she was just like, yeah, so it's really up to you. You don't have to take this um, test, right? Because it's not accurate in African-American mm-hmm. women. And I was like, you ain't going to stress me out. I'm all set. Like, if it's really not necessary, I'm not doing it. So we didn't do it, you know, and I didn't do it for my third child. And if I was, well, I'm not having a fourth (laughs) one, but had I had a fourth one, I wouldn't have done it for the fourth one. (laughs) So So can you, like, how, how does that, like, is that something that is, you know, was she pretty accurate in certain, certain, things not having um accurate results uh in black women or black people yeah clearly. so things are pr- and i was saying i remember when you were pregnant with legacy um and daniel um and so um that was what eight how long was legacy like don't do that <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> well i was so i was breaking the cards because Things have changed. So right now, um, a lot of that testing is either blood work or just an ultrasound. Um, So less invasive is basically my point. Um, Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. all of the tests are screens. So you do it the first time. You did a screening. They found something came up in in whatever those numbers were. And then they go the next step, Mm -hmm. which is the amniocentesis, which it would be more of a confirmation mm-hmm. of whatever those, um, whatever that possible diagnosis was. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like a standard of care um, in, in hospitals. So the other part, I should probably clarify that I work outside of a hospital setting. So, um, you know, what I do on the outside of a hospital setting is different than what happens in the hospital because they're bound by all the different protocols and, and rules 
patients, et cetera. Right. Whereas for me, I still offer all of those, those tests. However, we do informed choice. So instead of me, you know, say you did that, that exam with me, you know, 20 years ago and, you know, talking about now, we would have a conversation. This is what, what it is. This is why mm -hmm. you would do it. These are the risks and benefits, um, you know, and what could possibly happen if you went to have the amniocentesis. And then you can decide, you know, do I want to actually put mm -hmm. my, my pregnancy and my baby at risk by doing that right. testing? Most people say no. And so, um, you know, then the, the part with the black nurse is exactly kind of what I do. So we, t we look at risk factors, right? So a lot of those risk factors are determined by genetics. So do you have immediate family that have those particular, they're usually trisomies, so particular trisomies um, or any other genetic um, uh, abnormalities that need to be uh, looked, at, looked at for your current pregnancy? If you don't fit in that category, let's go to the next one. What is your, you know, race, mm -hmm. your, um, your, uh, uh, your, not only your ethnicity, your um, social um, risk factors, things like that. We, mm -hmm. Basically, we come down a list of different tiers of where you fit in in that category. And the majority of people will say, right. we don't fit. So why are we doing those tests? Again, I offer it, mm -hmm. but we have a conversation. So it's not like, hey, you're in my care. I'm just sending you. And most times people don't even know what they're going in for. They just go in for a doctor's appointment. Right. The, at the end of the appointment, they're like, yeah, we scheduled you to be at so-and-so place on this time. Just show up. And you get there and you're, you know, brought in and doing all this testing, have no clue what it is. They may give you like a, a brief synopsis of what it is, but that's it. They don't give you the full detail yeah. of what this would all mean. And so. And they also, I mean, you know, like I was saying, like they don't, I, you know, for me, I, I like to know that mm -hmm. I have an option, but you know, like the first go round, it seemed like, oh, this is all the standard things that are absolutely mm -hmm. mandatory. Like you have, you have, you have no option yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. You and know, that's pretty much how it is. It's like, you have no, I mean, you, you do, but you don't. Right. So Right. Well, they don't let exactly. you know that you exactly. do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's like you just walk in and you basically are submitting to any and everything. Whatever. Unless you know differently that you can say, well, pause. Right. I need to know more about that test. I need you to tell me all the details. I need you to tell me the risk and benefits. And then also the question I ask a lot of people is, what are you going to do with that information, right? So if you find out that your baby has one of these genetic disorders, would you terminate the pregnancy? Most people say no. So right. then why are we going through that, you know, invasive procedure if you probably won't? Mm -hmm. so. Well, how did... How yeah, so that's why, that's why I... I um. I refused the amniocentesis because, like I said, by the time we got the results back from that first initial screening, it was just like, I'm five, right. six months. But right. like, and in order to terminate the pregnancy at that point, now I got to, now I'm, I'm giving birth. Yep. You know? Uh, right. No, thank you. And then and just to think of how many people who have actually terminated and then you know whatever test you know they did afterwards and find out like oh oops, mm -hmm. sorry yeah i mean uh, most of these tests are they're good indicators but not the hundred percent they're not a hundred percent and so but for a lot of people right. they're not telling them that so you go in you just think right they tell me i have it i absolutely have it right same ultrasounds right like, i go in and they tell me i absolutely have it i must absolutely have it uh, a lot of times right. it's not i won't say a lot of times but some of the time it's not the case right so certain things that are, are common uh, i'm not gonna you know sugarcoat it and say that if they see a, a, a malformation of a baby or whatever that your baby can possibly be perfect possibly could be it may not be i don't know um but you know that type of person or that pregnancy wouldn't be in my care anyway once that that diagnosis comes about but for for me what i see a lot of is like people will go in um <clears throat> for ultrasounds for instance and it will be um 
they see something on the kidney, which is like this common, you know, thing that they see on a lot of babies, they grow out of it. So you go in for that anatomy between 18 and 20 weeks, by the time the baby gets to 40, it, the baby is bigger, it grows out of it. it's not a problem. All it requires is a, a follow up visit with the pediatrician after birth. Simple. But if they tell you that they're like, Oh, my God, the, the baby has this, you know, something's wrong with their kidneys is what they say, right? And then you're freaking out for the next 20 weeks, because you expect some dramatic, you know, uh, complication with your baby's kidneys. And mm -hmm. you're only thinking the worst, right? You're not thinking, Oh, it's just a matter of them monitoring it, it may not be a bad thing, or they actually probably could fix it, it still may not be a bad thing. So you stress yourself out, building up, you know, the cortisol levels, etc, you know, possibly having hypertension in pregnancy, which leads to other complications, um, because no one is explaining the things to you during, you know, deep visits. How, how important is um, advocacy in, in, you know, during this process, instead of um, the blind trust that sometimes tends to happen? Very important. I think, um, you know, I always say not everybody's going to do a home birth, you know, and I'm okay with that. And most people are okay with that as well. But I explain to people, if you don't do this type of care, the least you can do is educate yourself on what happens when you're in a hospital setting. You need to prepare yourself for the conversations. You need to prepare yourself for the pushback. You need to know your rights in the hospital because everything that they tell you may not necessarily be the end all be all, right? Everyone has rights when you go into the hospital. You can refuse certain things. You can you can refuse everything actually. Um, you know, having DCF being called on you because you don't want to vaccinate your child is not against the law, but you need to know these things before you go in versus you go in it happens and then you're freaking out and you're trying to respond um, it's better to know what your what the expectations are of the hospital but also what you want out of that experience prior to being in that space and now do you have you um okay let me just ask this question is the majority of your, I mean, do you call them clients? Mm -hmm. Are they clients? Yes. So, the, oh, patients. Nope, clients. Clients. So, is the majority of your clients uh, women of color? Yep. Okay. Um, like, what's the percentage of it? Um, I would say about ninety-seven percent. Ninety-seven. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Nice. That's dope. Mm -hmm. So, for the 3%, <laughs> <laughs> um, for the 3%, mm -hmm. um, do you, have you observed blatant um, care differences and disparities as opposed to the other 97? Um, yes. So, part of the reason why that 3% comes to me is either for their first birth, they had a traumatic experience. So they're looking for a different experience the second time or whatever number of time um, pregnancy. Um, and, or they've done their research and they just know, like, I don't want to be in the hospital. Um, whether it's because their friends or family or whatever have had really bad experiences, or they also feel like they don't have any control over their experience. So if, if they've done, you know, sort of some research on who's available, et cetera, you know, they come across me. Um, I think a few people have known me from like the doula circle, the doula um, community and were referrals. Um, so it, whatever way they get there, most, I would say probably about 95% of my clients, if they're not first time moms, are coming to me because of poor experiences with the first pregnancies. Wow. And, and do you take, um, so this question is, well, let me ask this first question. Mm -hmm. So can you, in layman's terms, because even when you and Leo talking and you're like, Leah said something and you knew exactly and then you repeated it and I had no, like, it's like y'all speaking Arabic. I have no idea what you're talking. Like, what was it, Leah, you said that they wanted to have you do the... Amnesia. 
I don't even know what you just said. <clears throat> but um, so can you explain in layman's terms a doula versus a midwife and the differences? Because in my mind, I always thought it was the same, just just different names. Right. So, yes, let's clarify that because a lot of people do get them confused very often. Um, so a doula is a person, oftentimes they are trained through whatever organization that they, you know, connect with and they are um, support people for the woman when they either in pregnancy, labor or in the postpartum period. So what that looks like is um, typically the doulas connect with you prenatally before you have the baby. They do a few visits where they um, uh, prepare you for childbirth. They, you know, go through the signs and symptoms of labor. Um, they do comfort measures and sort of do like a, a plan of what it's going to look like the day of your, your labor and your birth. Um, they work with you to create a birth plan. Um, and most times they, um, not most times, all the time, they do include whoever the partner is. So your husband, boyfriend, et cetera. And so um, then the day of the labor, you, because you already established when they arrive, you, you speak with, you call them when you're in labor. And then that person either shows up at your home or at the hospital and they support you throughout the labor process until you have the baby. They tend to stay maybe a couple of hours after the birth in the hospital. Um, and then they may do, may do one or two um, postpartum visits once you get home. Um, I've had doulas with me in my um, home, at my home births and they pretty much do the same thing. So they are there first, they supporting the mom through that early labor stage and in the beginning of the active phase, then I show up and then, you know, I kind of basically kind of take over um, as far as the, the medical portion of it. And then I fall back. So the difference between that and what I do is I'm the medical provider. So I'm the person who you're seeing for prenatal care, for um, all the diagnostic tests, the uh, labs, the ultrasounds, all of that. Same thing that you would see an OB for, you would see me for, uh, with the exception of if you had any complications or needed surgery or any um, any medications, things like that, that would be for an OB. Um, me, I'm only doing low-risk pregnancies, um, and that's what we're anticipating for the birth. It's a low-risk birth as well. And so what if it, what if it is high-risk and you, you refer to Yep. So they would refer out, outside of our care. So at that point, they could do what I do, what I call supportive care, which is they get the the midwifery prenatal piece of it. So they get to come see me and do all the prenatal appointments, um, you know, that I would have done with my home birth client. So they get the education. So my appointments are, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour long. So we have lots of time to ask questions, to give education, to talk about what's happening in your world. You know, you're stressed about this or that, you know, um, we, I know I get to know my my clients, which is great. And so I'm not a stranger to them. Um, and they're not a stranger to me. I know what their their needs are and their their desires are, um, not only during pregnancy, but also for labor and birth and also in the postpartum. Um, so, yeah. So <clears throat> do you um, your pay? Is it private? Is it insurance? Is it both? So unfortunately, home birth is not covered by insurance here in Massachusetts. So it is an option. Of course, it's not. Mm -hmm. However, the ultrasounds and labs and things like that usually are covered by insurance. So, so I know, um, and it wasn't. It's not. A, it wasn't a home birth, but with my with my second child, I was looking at mm -hmm. water births. Um, and none of the Boston hospitals provided that. I think at the time, Cambridge was mm -hmm. the only one yes. that didn't. Um, but then there was like a whole lot of hoopla with that. So like I could, I felt like I looked into it and it, it was, and it could have been my insurance mm -hmm. at the time. Um, I don't even, I don't, I don't know, but it was just like, I felt like, dang, I don't really, I felt like I didn't have right. any options. Yes. Is that still the same? So one, Cambridge Birth Center is closed. <laughs> so that's it's no longer a thing. Um, yeah. They, 
close it during COVID and they don't have any plans to opening, opening back up. Um, and wow. there are several hospitals that do have tubs in their birthing rooms, but you cannot give birth in them. So that looks like, right. um, I'll speak on a hospital that I worked at. Um, I won't say the name, but I worked at it. It's a, probably the, the most popular one in, in the Boston area. And so they had two, that's the same one that told me um, my baby's going to have Down syndrome, Probably. I bet you. But go ahead. Because that's a hospital. There's <laughs> actually like whole doula boards to tell you don't go to. Um, so they had two rooms that had um, uh, labor tubs in there. And yet they were, it was almost like it was this deserted room on the side of the hospital. They were barely used because they had to have, in order for you to be able to use it, the particular nurse who was trained to to be in there had to be on the nurse had to be trained um it couldn't be a busy shift which we know that happens all the time you had to tell your provider beforehand so it was like all these like caveats so basically you're you like you go in all excited like oh great you have this birth pool and then they start telling you all the things and ways that you basically are not going to get in that room um since then, I've heard that a few people have used it, but you still can't get birth in it. So you labor in it, um, but as soon as the baby is imminent, they literally like make you get out and immediately become pull you out. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know there is benefits. You know, I stayed in the shower with. I mean, I didn't have the tub, but I stayed. I definitely stayed in the shower. Um, I tried to anyway with all of my births mm -hmm. because. It's something about that water, that hot yes. water that is yep. a soother, yep. you know. So that's, you know, part of, I would say, a good 80 to 90 percent of my clients do birth in the, in the pool. So and part of it is the labor laboring in the birth pool um, during the active labor phase because it feels good. It's high. We call it hydrotherapy um, and doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily take the pain away but it relaxes you enough that you can manage it um and so it's a good mm -hmm. um alternative to you know other pain meds and epidurals and things like that so so with that being said right like i sorry there was some technical difficulties and i had to jump off mm -hmm. earlier however hopefully you did not um answer this mm -hmm. already um you mentioned epidurals so are all are you um on natural birth. Are you trained to give those? Do you give those or are all your births that you do, are they all natural? Yes. So all natural, no med, no pain meds, um, no medications, you know, with the exception of um, uh, meds for um, hemorrhaging after the birth. Um, so meds to basically control the bleeding, but no epidural, no nitrous oxide, no you know, narcotics, any of that stuff. So that's why, you know, our appointments are so long because we're talking through, let's get through all the fears. Let's get through all the questions. Let's get through all the things that are holding mm -hmm. you up so that you can't really surrender during your labor process. Um, so by the time they get there, they're well prepared for what to expect and um, also how to manage it throughout and if someone comes to you and and they've already had <clears throat> they've already had you know three four five six seven eight nine mm -hmm. right and they know for certain that they want an epidural and they don't want to feel a pain mm -hmm. do you immediately tap out and say this isn't a place for you yes yep okay so we saw that most of us saw most home birth midwives saw that during COVID. So um, COVID is really where we all of us like exploded as far as you know numbers and clients, etc. And what we were seeing, of course, people didn't weren't hospitals weren't allowing partners. So that's that was the start of it. But then people just didn't want to be in the hospital during the COVID um, pandemic. And so the clients that we were getting were people who, you know, we give this all same spiel over and over with every consult. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is who, who's um, the best fit for this type of care. And, you know, inevitably, there'll be somebody who like, uh, they don't necessarily ask for epidural, but you know, like, they can't manage, you know, having an app. 
um, for whatever reason. And so we, we saw a lot of that. Um, and just people who really didn't take really good care of themselves and things like that um, during the prenatal process. So thankfully, <laughs> those people mm. have back out um, and we're getting more of the, the people that we um, tend to see in this, in this space. So one quick one quick question that just came to mind. So you said that the appointments were forty five minutes to an hour sometimes. Yep. Um, so do you tend to um, run on time, or are you very similar to? Nope, I run on time. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay, all right. Because I thought about that. I'm like, I can't imagine if those appointments that you know that. You know, so anyway. Yeah, one time, if I have to travel, so I do all office visits for prenatal, um, and then I do postpartum visits at home. So um, sometimes, you know, and before I got in office, I was doing all home visits. So at that point, give or take maybe 10, 15 minutes, I might be late just because of the travel and getting in traffic or maybe appointment before that ended later than I wanted to. So it you know made me late for the next appointment. But now that I have an office that kind of quells all of that. And so um, nine times out of 10, you know, we are on time. You might walk into somebody else's appointment just because they, they ran over, but I actually do it that way so that when that person comes in, you know, your hour's done. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I had um so back oh you have another No, question. no, go on, go on. Oh, okay. Um just thinking just thinking about my own care. Um again, three pregnancies I delivered at three different hospitals. Um She's worldly. Because I don't remember what happened. <laughs> Whatever. I don't something I feel like no. something something didn't jive right at the second hospital no, either. You should. If you don't feel safe mm -hmm. in one, you go to the next. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um but it wasn't until <laughs> it wasn't until uh my third pregnancy, um I and I feel like I was in like I was in in like heavy labor, like literally about to give birth, that they realized that um, I had an RH factor, right? Wait, do so they didn't I know that beforehand. Mm -hmm. No, third child. <laughs> <laughs> so the reality, and I, you know, I wasn't. I don't feel like I was. You know, I had very good pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if, you know, my son's blood type was what triggered, you know, like they figured out what his blood type was in that trick. I don't know, triggered them to realize whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Um, but I just remember, you know, it was kind of like a panic and it was like, oh, snap, like, you know, and they were like getting and they had to give me, um, they had to give me, a, I don't even know what they gave me, but they had to give me, I remember them giving me a shot of something. And I'm like, for what? Because <laughs> I yeah. hate needles. Um, how, how, how common is that? <laughs> well, in the hospital, I can't speak upon, but um, we do a full panel of blood work. So either you come in with, so some people come, you know, they figured, found me some way, shape, shape or form, you know, um, somewhere in their pregnancy, and then they connect with me. So if they've already done a prenatal panel that I'm looking at, you know, the labs that they've done, and basically it's a typing screen. So you would find out at that um, in that prenatal panel whether you are RH negative. And then if you are, then you should have gotten Rogam at um, 28 weeks and then, you know, a couple of days after baby. But they probably freaked out because you didn't get the first dose at and then get in. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so essentially it's like your body attacks the baby. And so, and mm -hmm. you likely had it after your first birth because it's, you get sensitized after the first birth. So um, you should have gotten in mm. every birth after that. So what happened? I don't know. But yeah, so these are the things. And now I feel I don't know if maybe they didn't do it wasn't like a standard of care to do um, to test your uh, blood type. But now it is most every hospital does it is a pretty I don't know. I felt like I was constantly giving blood. I was constantly taking, you know, 
And it felt it felt overwhelmingly so because, like I said, I I, I mm. hate needles. So any yeah. little thing, it was just like, you know, what is this? Why is this? You know, um, you know. But that had me thinking, like, oh, is that is that one of the reasons why? you know, that initial screening for my first child came back where it looked like there was going to be, you know, some, some, some right. issues. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, no, cause the R, the RH factor is like I said, more of the, your body attacking the baby. It basically the baby right. to have a genetic screen that came back flagged is something different. So, yeah, they should. Different. They could have done, you know, the amniocentesis to confirm it. Um, oh, yeah. I wasn't so, <laughs> but, but also, <laughs> did they do? So right now, what they do is there's two different tests. Um, there's a nuchal translucency, which they do around 10 to 14 weeks. Um, I'm sorry, 11 to 14 weeks, where they are looking at the ba the back of the baby's neck to measure a certain um, a uh, fault measure the fold of the baby's neck to determine the likelihood and then um, they do blood work and so if that comes back you mm. know elevated or whatever the numbers are then they do a follow-up um more more um what is it called detailed testing to confirm it and then the nipt test is um blood work so you don't even need to do you know a lot of the invasive stuff because it comes back just in in the blood and that's done between uh 10 and 14 weeks, 10 and 13 weeks, 10 or 14 weeks, something like that. So I have another mm -hmm. question again, um, uh, yeah. referring to me. With each of my pregnancies, um, I would get false mm. negatives when I would yeah. take the test. Did that have anything to do with my blood That's type? what we call dangerous in the hood, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Mean, you're getting, if you have a high risk, I would say could have i would have been looking at is it um the person who's drawing your blood is it an error like if they leave the blood work out too long you know could have been i don't know a, a variety of different things but for me mm -hmm. if something comes back false positive or false negative we're going to re redo the test to confirm it um so yeah especially for that was i mean or it was early you know early like I, I wouldn't get a, a mm -hmm. positive in, uh, until I was heading into my second trimester. So like the first, the first trimester, it would, it would be, it would mm -hmm. be false negative. Well, for what though? Do you remember what test? Uh, to confirm that I was pregnant. Oh, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I think you're talking about mm -hmm. um, genetics. Oh, so, no, no, no. Well, it could have been a lot of things. Were you earlier or later than, you know, the, so the pregnancy test, if it's, if you're doing it like on the peeing on the stick, for instance, uh, those tests back, mm -hmm. again, we're talking about a while ago. So back then, technology mm -hmm. or the device may not have been as good as it is now. So you might have um, mm -hmm. tried to test too early where there wasn't enough hormones in the urine to be able to, um, positively identify that pregnancy or it could have been you know if they did blood work it was again too early and so usually if they see the hcg levels are a particular number they have you come back and we need to see it doubling over a particular amount of time to basically confirm a pregnancy mm -hmm. and then they also now they also have the the dating ultrasound so they do a bedside ultrasound to confirm pregnancy and um viability so yeah Technology has come a long way. <laughs> so I have so as as we're approaching um, the time because I don't think I told you how long this would be, but mm -hmm. you know, some people when they do lives, they tend to be on lives for like two hours, and it's just like <laughs> you know, oh my god, guys, come on, wrap it up. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you so because you are so um, for lack of better terms, so intimately involved with your clients. Um, we're uh, move over. Yeah, the light reflecting off the mirror is it's magical, babe. Okay. I'm, you know what I mean. I'm an angel, so that's. Mm -hmm. that but, but no, no, don't do that. That's really distracting. All right, all right, all right, guys. Nothing to see here. So, is it um, how how, okay. So, being so intimately involved with the clients, what is the 
boundary that you have as kind of like a cutoff and a transition versus like the person six months from now is like, hey, I have a question nine months from now. Hey, can you help me? You know, does that happen? You mean after the postpartum? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Like, are they like a lifelong friend now? They are. They're family. I consider them family. These are all my my babies, my nieces, my nephews. Um, and so, yeah, I even on our last visit, it's, you know, this isn't a goodbye, this is a see you later. And not because I think they're gonna come back, <laughs> some of them do, but um, it's more so, you know, keep in, keep in touch, you know, send me pictures, let me know how you're doing. If you have questions and you need, you know, referrals to some way, let me know. I may be able to connect you with the right people, especially because the majority of the people who take who do this type of care are looking for more holistic ways of doing things. Um, and so that may not be pretty, you know, well known, I guess, um, you know, on the mainstream level. So if they call like, hey, you know, baby nine months old is going through xyz do you have any particular remedies or do you know a doctor that i can send send them to um chiropractor for their little one or for themselves um you know who do you suggest so always always connecting always you know um available to whoever throughout the the child span and the mom span life so okay so i wanted to um as we're closing, I wanted to run through a couple of stereotypes that are kind of often put out there. And I think this could be for uh, doulas and midwives in the sense of um, just stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So say that through the word, baby. Huh? Say the word, not midwife. Say the no, she's midwife. Right. He's right. I know, but what is what the term, uh, the care term? What say the midwifery. word? Midwifery. Yes. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, we're having. Are you cursing at me? Why you not I edited it myself. We're having a serious conversation. That's okay. So, um, so one of the stereotypes, um, they aren't well trained. Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's start there. Aren't well trained? Yes. So I would say that is a myth. Um, or oh, I'll speak on my behalf because I can't speak on everyone. Um, so on my behalf, yes, we're, I'm well-trained. I went through, you know, midwifery school, um, you know, did a two-year apprenticeship, gained lots of experience through that apprenticeship. But, you know, I'm also still learning and all of us are learning, whether you have been doing this for two years or 20 years, we're always learning because like we just explained what I just explained to Leah, like what you did when your oldest was, you know, when you were pregnant with your oldest is completely different than what we do now, right? So like the evolution of technology and information, et cetera, just evolves over time. So I can't ever say that I'm the expert in all things at all times because I'm still learning and I'm still, you know, there are gonna be things that I'm going to experience or witness that I may never either experience or witness again or I've witnessed for the first time, um, especially in this world, it's really hard to say it's an end-all be-all because birth and, and pregnancy, et cetera, is, is not linear. Things change, things happen. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that's just how it is. So with that said, the majority of us <laughs> are trained in one way or the other. So, um, you know, there's a nurse midwife who goes through nursing school and then they do grad school and become a, a CNM. And then my, the way I did it, um, I started in nursing school. I didn't finish, but because I ended up getting a different degree, but I have, I still have those two years of nursing school. Plus I worked 20 plus years in the medical field. So I have, you know, 20 years of clinical experience, et cetera, um, in addition to the midwifery training um, that I received. And then there's a traditional way where um, people go and they basically apprentice with a particular midwife for X amount of years. That can be, you know, many years, but they're basically shadowing that person for um, a certain amount of time until they are, um, they sign off on certain skills and et cetera to take the next step into midwifery. Um, the, one of the other stereotypes um, can't help with pain no so that's a myth as well so 
I mean, I guess pain is relative for everyone. So, you know, am I taking away the pain or, you know, any of the, the comfort measures that we're doing? Is it taking away the pain? No. But the comfort measures that we provide or instruct on or educate on, they are a way for you to cope through that pain. So like Leah mentioned earlier, taking a hot shower during labor, like that was really comforting for her in that space and got her, got it was a, she was able to get through a labor process to whatever point she did until she went in to the hospital. Even when you're in the hospital, you can do um, the shower and the same thing with, you know, getting in the pool for the birth pool when um, you're at home. So there's a lots of, you know, that's, you know, why I always recommend a doula if you know that you are not great with pain management or um, just have a lot of anxiety or fear around it, having a doula to get you through that process, I highly recommend. All right. So there's so there's one more and then we have a, um, a quick question. So um, one of the other stereotypes is um, you stop caring after the delivery. Nope. So I am with the mom up until six weeks and then really lifelong after that. So I see clients after they give birth um, on day two, day three, day two, day five, day seven, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. So lots of visits in the postpartum period to one, make sure that they are transitioning well, that they are recovering well, um, but not just physically, but emotionally. You know, um, you said the statement and I chuckled because I say it all the time, whether it's your first baby or your fifth baby, um, you know, every pregnancy and, and birth is different. And so you may have done really great the first one, but the fifth one, you're struggling. And so having those multiple visits allows me to have eyes on you to um, make sure that you're getting connected to the proper resources. Um, but sometimes it just means just talking through things, right? Because you may not know what to do in that moment and just having some advice or some um, education on what's going on and why it's happening makes a world of difference for a lot of people. Okay. Speaking on multiple multiple births, um, do you find that your clientele, for lack of better words, um, are in a specific age? Um, no, nope. nope. I had young people. I've had older people. Yeah, I would say twenties. The early, uh, earliest, the oldest was probably mid forties. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, all right. So here's the question. So the question, so there's two questions, but I'm just going to pick the best one. Mm -hmm. So, well, I don't want to say the best one. No offense. That's not crazy. Well, you said it. I know. It. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rewind. So now you got to read no, them both. So that's crazy. We have to, come on, Leah. We have to treat this like a. a you have to read them both. That's crazy. Hurry oh, up. my God. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So first question is. I am deciding on a doula, but I watched the documentary and it was a nightmare situation. Mm. Is there a way for me to screen um, potential doulas that I would want to choose? Jeez, um, what could what could a doula possibly do to have a nightmare? Um, <laughs> well, other than, you know, I always recommend interviewing people. Um, so, you know, I interview people all the time. Um, before I, I take them on as clients. And I imagine the majority of doulas do the same thing. So interview them, you know, have a set of questions that are important to you, make sure you ask them. Um, and then, you know, based on their answers, you make a decision if that feels like a good fit. Um, I would definitely stay away from people who are not communicating well, who, um, you know, kind of ghost you when you really need them. And, you know, but also understand that sometimes, you know, even myself, like I'm, I work by myself. So I'm one person doing a hundred things all the time. And I may not get back to you that moment you text me, but at some point within, you know, that 24 hour period, you will get a response. Um, my, I always tell people my email is my snail mail. So please don't send important information in the email. Um, text me because I have my phone on me all the time. But with that said, you know, it's really, I guess, I, again, I don't know what the nightmare situation could be with the doula because they're so, they're supposed to be in a supportive world. Um, but really, it's about relationship and who you connect with, right? So if you mm -hmm. had an interview and you're getting red flags from the question, I mean, from the answers that 
um, from the question, from the answers you asked, um, then, you know, that probably isn't the person that you want to be with. Um, and then you also have, just like hospitals, you have the option, if things are not going well, to not go with that person and find someone else. Mm. Um, so the, the other question, I am 42 and I wanted to have um, my last child. I assume that I would be high risk, but I believe in taking a lot of holistic approaches. Um, is there a best method for me to explore to make this a reality? To So my, are they thinking of getting pregnant or to be in a, um, have a out-of-hospital experience would be my question. If they're thinking about getting pregnant, um, yes, there's, I don't do it, but there's um, many places that you can connect with to do like holistic type of um, remedies and, and care modules and things like that for um, getting pregnant. And then if you are, are pregnant and you're looking for your options about whether to go to the hospital or to have a home birth, I mean, the main thing for me would be, you know, do you have any outlying complications, uh, medical complications that would affect whether or not you can have a home birth and have out of hospital care. So that would, the main ones are like um, hypertension, uh, diabetes that it's uncontrolled, mainly um, any cardiac issues, blood disorders, things like that. All of those things are high risk for me. So, um, but you could do supportive care. So you can do something where you and I are connecting. We're doing um, lots of education during the prenatal period, but we're preparing you for a hospital birth. And in that case, we would do like a birth plan and, you know, um, how to do all the comfort measures and having a support team with you and things like that. Okay. Um, and I lied. The last question. So <laughs> if, um, if, if, you know, I'm completely done, but Leah wants to have like more kids, like what is the best way to resolve this tension in the house? Because I have zero interest mm -hmm. and I, I think she just loves being a mom from like, you know, the, the little stages. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice to, to have me have some peace and sanity? <laughs> You probably need a couple's therapy therapists. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, in reality, it's really about your life. Like baby is only so little for so long, right? And so what is it going to look like a year, five years, 10 years, whatever down the line? You know, is it something that um, you know, financially you can handle? Is it something that as a couple, your relationship can handle? It's a very stressful period. And, you know, it, it's, it can't be taken lightly for a lot of people, even though people are like, you know, just have a baby, it, it will all work itself out. But I think we're in a, in a time where like, we should start about things not just when we're pregnant but even before we get pregnant right making sure our bodies and, and our health is is optimal for pregnancy making sure we educate ourselves on options whether home birth or hospital birth um and then once we are pregnant taking care of ourselves and doing all the things so that we can remain healthy throughout um those things will lower you know the complication risk but then you know once your baby is here what is your postpartum plan looking like? You know, do you have a village? Um, which I didn't mention, but I am starting a postpartum agency. So um, you'll, you can interview me again about that later. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah. So, you know, making sure that you have a good support team with you after baby. So it's not just like, Hey, yeah, Nana's coming to, to visit. It's like, mm -mm. Is Nana coming to help with the laundry, the food prep, the, you know, cleaning of the home, things like that? Because those things are what is most important so that you can, you know, heal and be a, a good mom and, and family. So super important. So um, just wanted to shout out. So um, Cutie Kara 2019, mm -hmm. home birth mama here, age 40. Stephanie delivered my beautiful baby girl who is now a pre uh, what a precocious. Okay, precocious toddler. Um, the most amazing and beautiful experience. So, yeah. So, all right. I mean, you know, I I wish I have no in, I have no interest, but you know, I wish if I can go back that Lee and I could have explored. You know what I mean? But um, 
you know, it is what it is. Yes, and You're I right. just want to, before we, we end up at, at end, because you said that, I just wanted to shout out all my dads who are a part of this process. Um, you know, one of the things that's super important to me is to make sure that the fathers feel included in this process. And so, you know, yeah. we visits, you know, I'm showing them how to do the palpation, I'm showing them how to find the fetal heart tone with the Doppler, um, and same thing with the, the siblings, too, so they get so excited coming in, even my littlest ones, I mean, they're like one, two years old, and they know as soon as I could, they come in, they walk to the box with the Doppler and the stethoscope, and they, they're like, Mommy, when are we going to do, you know, the assessment part? So for me, this isn't just about providing care. It's really a family experience. And so um, I want to make sure anyone that, you know, wants to be a part of that feels like they're welcome to do So, and, and just in, in closing, um, so can you tell people um, how to best get in contact with you? Clearly snail mail is not the best way. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you tell people the best way to contact you and um, any other like closing words that you would want to give the audience? Yeah, so the best way to reach me would be through my website, uh, rootsmidwiferyma.com. Um, I have, you can go on there and find out all the sort of um, what care would look like and, and testimonials and things like that. But on my contact page, if you go through that, which I just have to say, I somehow broke the link today. So I apologize if anybody's going on there and they cannot schedule an appointment, but it's going to be fixed in the morning. So I was playing around <laughs> and it was like my end of the year audit of like cleaning up systems and stuff. And somehow I, I deleted the calendar, um, uh, account for my roots McGriffey. Don't ask me how I just did. But anyway, it's going to be fixed in the morning. So by tomorrow afternoon, if you do want to set up a consult with me, um, the best place to go is straight to my website on the contact page. Um, fill out the, the form there. It brings you to a calendar link to set up the next available uh, consult. And even if you're not really sure if home birth is for you, just set up the consult, ask some questions. You have 45 minutes to way so um feel free to do that and you know if you're a good fit then we'll welcome you to the family so um and that's it so so yeah Stephanie. okay <laughs> i mean you know you come a long way from being a surgical scheduler man i mean cheese okay. louise papa cheese <laughs> so um it was an honor to um have you on and connect and i'm glad that we were your first i mean i hope it was as enjoyable for you as it was for us it was i was you nervous know. and you you were like me and you're a true daniel energy you made it really comfortable and then leah um, that, what a wholesome yeah, three so you know, <laughs> seriousness in the importance of this call so i appreciate her too <laughs> you <and Chuck. laughs> Yeah, she's the, she's the manager. I mean, that's what everyone calls her. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, so, anyway, thank you so much again. And um, I'm going to have this on and I'm going to make some, some clips of it and, and, you know, make some ads. And so hopefully um, it gets the word out a little more and, and just makes people aware. And I think the service that you are providing um for our community in particular is valued i appreciate it and i think um you know as you know a black dollar you know what i'm saying um you are literally circulating um because even when i'm looking at the the, the your team mm -hmm. um you are literally circulating and creating your own ecosystem to change um the amount of time a dollar circulates in our community so I appreciate it, um, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy for you. And it's just like, like, damn, you know, I, I, we we are. Yeah, I'm speaking because <laughs> I knew her from. You know what I'm saying? I remember I used to open the door and see her, and I remember we was arguing about Kanye. None of that matters. <laughs> we we are. Yeah. Thank you. So, anyway, so so anyway, love you, love you, love you, and it was a pleasure, and um. Thank you so much again. And we'll connect again once you um, set up the postpartum yes. engine of your business. Yes. Thank you. Babe, I think we should just go for another one so Listen, Stephanie could. Um, come on. Be... <laughs> Break it for you. <laughs> yeah, man. You, you got one. All right, guys. 
This has been nice. Good night. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Wedlocked and Loaded signing out. Thank you so much. Thank you for All having right. me. Thank you. For Wedlocked me. and Loaded. Wed, wed, wedlocked and Loaded.